Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit EnrichmentRetreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. We're going to look in Romans chapter 3 this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 3, we're talking about dealing with cultural, changing cultures. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, somebody asked me just a little while ago how I got there. My parents moved to Las Vegas so they could divorce their former spouses and marry each other. And they did that back in 1951. And uh, so then about four or five years later, I came along. So uh, that's how I got to Las Vegas. And we were, uh, I thought all my life if I could get out of Las Vegas... I will never come back to Las Vegas because I like trees and I like flowers and I like birds and I like water. And we don't have any of those in Las Vegas. So I thought it would be great to just get out and get someplace. And my, my mother was from Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is a wonderful place. And I, she talked about it. I thought it was like heaven. Uh, and, uh, and I went back there. Somebody showed me actually a picture of, um, of Pennsylvania. My sister went out there when she was 16 years old and came back and showed me a picture of the hills of Pennsylvania, I said, that's painted in. That is, there's no place like that on earth where you can't see anything but trees. I thought, that's impossible. But then I came to the Holy Land and uh, found out it was different. Anyway, uh, that's how I, I grew up in Las Vegas. I, uh, my, my wife and I met in college, our first year of college. We graduated, and as soon as we graduated, we went back to Las Vegas to start a church. I was 22 years old. In fact, I, I turned... 20, I was 21 until July 9th. We got into Las Vegas on, on July 10th. Um, I tell people, we pulled into Las Vegas. It was 10 o'clock at night. My wife had never, ever been in uh, a desert before. She had asked me, she said, what's it like to live in the desert? I said, this is what you do. You go to your home, put your oven on uh, 350 degrees. They totally let it preheat, open it up, and stick your head inside. That's what it's like living in the desert in the summertime. And she said, oh, what's it really like? When I pulled into Las Vegas, it was July 10th. It was 10 o'clock at night. It was 110 degrees. And she thought, man, what have I gotten myself into? But she married me for better or for worse. And so I, I gave her what she married me for. Anyway, uh, we are, uh, uh, it, it's been amazing, uh, even in Las Vegas, to watch culture get worse and worse, more debase uh, year after year after year. Uh, the Bible tells us that we live in a wicked world. But when we, we, we say things today, we talk about lesbianism. You hear the term uh, bisexual. You hear the term gay. You hear the term trans, uh, transgender. You hear the term, uh, you hear the term uh, a queer. I mean, that's L-B-G-T-Q, and then I guess there's an I and an A, but I don't know what those are. Maybe they don't even know what those are. Uh, we are living in a totally and completely, talk about cultural diversity. Uh, we have seen some major ch- shifts today and, and in the last couple of months. Uh, when it comes politically, uh, what, what uh, 
uh, has happened it is absolutely amazing. We have legalized marijuana around the country, uh, 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 church lockdowns, uh, divorce. Uh, divorce is an accepted thing and has been since 1968. 1968, actually it was in 1967 that the, the uh, USSR, um, USSR, USSR legalized for the first time anywhere in the world um, no-fault divorce. Then in 1968, it came to America in the state of California. And by 1969, every state in the United States had, had legalized no-fault divorce. Uh, amazing how that has shifted our culture. Our culture has become really wicked and debased. In, 19, in the 1950s, we were introduced to the to the playboy culture through a man named Hugh Hefter who said it's okay to lust after as many women as you want. That's okay. Uh, the, uh, as you, whatever you want to do. Marriage has, was thrown out the window in the 1960s. And we have been, people are, are saying in the last few years, uh, you know, uh, America is redefining or people are trying to redefine marriage because of the homosexuality. But the truth of the matter is, back in 1968, we said, let's redefine marriage. We'll say what it is, and we'll not let God uh, define it. We need to live, understand we live in this, this, this huge cultural upheaval that started uh, in the outward sense back in the 1960s. And we've got to ask ourselves how we're going to deal with this stuff. Uh, are we going to pretend as though it's not there? Uh, or are we going to pretend as though uh, we don't live with that, that it's all around us? Your children are going to hear all sorts of things that maybe you didn't hear. They're going to be exposed to things that you uh, weren't exposed to. My children grew up hearing about things. And by the way, with my children, we discussed these things. We openly discussed things when they asked questions age appropriately so that we could tell them this is right and this is wrong. And we need to understand that it's important that we, it's important for us that we address the culture and remain who we are. See, I don't have to, while addressing the culture, I don't have to shift and become like the culture, but I need to understand how wicked the culture is, and I need to understand, I think it's very important that in 2021, we don't think that, hey, this is all new today. Look in Romans chapter 3. We're in Romans chapter 3. Let's just read what God says about it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we use this verse for leading people to Christ all the time, but let's read the entire context. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's who you deal with every day. Whether you're in Denver, Colorado, or whether you're in Las Vegas, Nevada, or Pensacola, Florida, or Kansas, you're dealing with people who are not righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. Why was Jesus so forgiving on the cross? Well, number one, he's God, and that's what he came to do. But he said this, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. When a young lady says, I want to kill my baby in my womb, she has no concept what she's doing. They don't understand what they're doing. When a young, when a teenage, a 13-year-old girl says, I believe that I am uh, a lesbian, uh, she has no idea what she's doing. 
And we need to understand that there is a lack of understanding. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that are seeking after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the ways of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of those who would not receive the gospel. That's who you're dealing with. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says they're reprobate. What's the word reprobate mean? The word reprobate means they, they can't distinguish between that which is right and that which is wrong. So when a guy stands up and say, he's not lying to you from his perspective when he says it is absolutely wrong to forbid someone to get an abortion, You're wrong. Why? They think they are right. They think they're right. And we need to understand that. They think that you are wrong. They're reprobate. Reprobate thinks right is wrong and wrong is right. And that's the world that we live in. It's very very important that we understand that, that we understand this isn't something that is brand new. We are seeing it invade our culture here in America because we have now walked away. As an American society, we have walked away from what we knew was truth at the at the foundation of our nation. And, and as we've walked away from that truth, the farther we've walked away, the more we are seeing our country become like other countries. But the truth of the matter is, this is not new. We need to understand, number one, the world that we live in. We need to understand the world that we live in. It's a fallen world. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, Satan lied and said, you will not surely die. And we, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, believed that. They fell. And now the God of this world has blinded the eyes of this world. In Noah's day, remember what he said in Genesis chapter 6? Let me just read it to you. The Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the way it is. Man looks at sin, and sin looks like fun, and that looks good, and I want that. David said, in his day, David said this in Psalm 2, Why do the heathen rage? They were raging back then, and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of this earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, uh, anointed, saying, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Man, that's the way they've always been. In Christ's day, they said, let's crucify him. Let us crucify him. they, they delivered him, our Savior, the righteous King of kings and Lord of lords, delivered him to be crucified. That is our world. And then we see Paul's description. Our world is a wicked, vile world, and we live here. So as we're dealing with the culture, as we're dealing with the wickedness of our culture, how do we deal with that and still keep our mores? How do we deal with that and still uh, and, and, and deal with that in love and yet at the same time stay who we are? Well, number one, you need to settle. Or number two, you need to settle who you are. You need to settle who 
you are. Let me give you some verses. Jesus said this in John chapter 1 and verse 12. I'm sorry, in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You are unique. You were born again. You became a child of God. You became eternally saved. You're a new creature in Christ. I talked about that this morning. You're a brand new creature in Christ. And you are called here not to be part of this world. You are called here to represent Jesus Christ in the midst of the darkness of this world. I love this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. The Bible says, do all things. This is you and me. See, we see this wickedness going on. We see uh, we see garbage in front of us. We see, uh, we see people doing things that you think, I don't want my kids to see this stuff. I had a David Young, a uh, uh, good friend, came to Las Vegas one year. It was David and his son, Matthew. Matthew was eight years old at the time. And uh, he, David brought Matthew with him. My son, Matthew, went to pick up his son, uh, or, or went to pick up David and his son. So they get in the back of the car after he picks them up at the airport. Now, when you're coming out of the Las Vegas airport, it's bad. There's billboards that do, are not um, wholesome uh, at all. And uh, there are bad pictures on those billboards. Well, David has taught his son Matthew, even at eight years old, to look the other way. The problem is in Las Vegas, if you look the other way, there's another billboard over here. And so David has taught Matthew to bounce his eyes off. Now, my son Matthew's driving the car. And David is sitting right next to him. And his son Matthew is sitting back here. And they're driving. And Matthew's trying to do good and bounce his eyes and look the other way. And he said, Dad, there's a bunch of bad women here in this town. And my son, Matthew, looked over and said, well, uh, I want you to understand, Matthew, that's why we're here. We are here because lost people need to be saved. We're here to tell people how to get saved. We're here to tell people uh, about what is right. We're here to teach them. And when they get saved, they stop doing the things that, that you're seeing on these billboards. And, and, uh, and that's why we're here. We don't condemn them. We're here to help them. And so we're, they're driving down a little bit farther, and the billboards are still there. And finally, little Matthew reaches over to David, and he said, Dad, they're not doing a very good job. <laughs> we need to understand that our, our world is wicked, and we need to understand that we're to be light in darkness. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things without murmuring. Don't be looking at people and saying, you wicked, vile thing, uh, uh, and disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Let me say that again. Don't murmur. Don't dispute. Why? That you might be blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Philippians 4, or Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Man, we are sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
And we're not here, again, to condemn the wolves. We're here to share the truth of the word of God. Somebody asked me right after, right after uh, Joe Biden was elected president, uh, what can you, about people were just emailing us and people were texting us and people were just asking, what do you do? How can you pray for Joe Biden? Well, the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that we are to pray according to 2 Timothy 2 and verse, or I think it's 2 Timothy, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says we're to pray for kings and for all that are in authority. Uh, and, and it tells us what we're supposed to pray for. Uh, we're supposed to pray that they get saved. The Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You should be praying every, every day. I can tell you this. Every day that Barack Obama was president of the United States, I prayed that he would get saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Every day since Joe Biden has been saved, I have choked and I have said, God, I pray that he'll get saved and he'll come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what you're supposed to pray. Why? Because when you do that, then the Bible says we'll have a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty. You want that for you and you want that for your children? Pray for governors to get saved. Pray for for senators to get saved. Pray for mayors to get saved. Pray for all men everywhere to get saved. I, I practiced that. I was, uh, went to, to a, with a group called Capital Connections to Washington, D.C. Uh, a few years ago. When I got there, uh, we, they, we set up meetings with all our different representatives. Well, one of my representatives was Harry Reid. And, uh, and so we went to set up an appointment with him. Everybody else gave us personal time, but he couldn't meet with us. There was a 14 or 15 people he was going to have together. And he said, you can come and, and have donuts and coffee with us. And we'd love to have you come be part of that. So I said to Matthew, Matt, you go, because I really don't want, this is my spirituality coming out. I really don't care to see Harry Reid. He said, Dad. We're supposed to care about people. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love our enemies. I hate it when people preach to me, especially my own kids. I said, okay, so we'll go. We'll go. It's going to be a waste of time, but we'll go. So we walk in. We're sitting around. um, We're we're standing around the coffee table. It's got coffee and donuts. and, And I'm just thinking, okay, let's get this done. And then this guy comes out and stands in the middle of the room, short guy. He's got a black, he's got a black glasses that's covering one eye and his other glass. And I realized oh, he just had an accident. This is Harry Reid standing there. And he said, I'd like to greet each one of you personally. And so if you'd like to talk to me, just come up. And so, so everybody went up. So I went up and I, I said, uh, and now Harry Reid's been in our church. He's heard me preach the gospel. I figured it, he got it once. He doesn't need it again. So, uh, um, so I walked up, and I said, because this is what I'm supposed to say. You're supposed to be nice. And so I know what I'm supposed to do. And by the way, loving people isn't feeling good about it. Loving people is doing what you know is right. So I walked up, and I said, uh, hi, my name's Dave Tice. This is my uh, son, Matthew. And I said, I'm a pastor of Liberty Baptist Church. Oh, he pretended. He knew me. He said, oh, yes, uh, from Las Vegas. I said, yeah. I said, uh, we just wanted to come in. And, uh, and see if there was anything we could pray with you about. He said, oh, thank you. He said, you know, we've been really going through some struggles. He said, my, my, and my, then Matthew, who's, who's up on everything, he's like Kurt Skelly. Kurt Skelly has got the, like this magnificent brain. I mean, he just, what he just went through was, was like, 
amazing. It's going to take me like six years to, to digest all that. It was really, really good. I love the way he just systematically goes uh, through the word of God. What, what great, great teaching. Anyway, uh, Matthew's like, Matthew gets all this information. So he said, oh, yes, Matthew starts talking. Uh, yes, I heard that your wife had an accident and she's not feeling well. And I heard about your daughter. And I thought, good. And uh, so uh, he, he, he interacted with him. He said, he said, would you pray for my, he said, oh, this is what he said. He said, you know what? We have just developed a habit of reading the scriptures together every night. I said, wait a minute. Who are you and what would you do with Harry Reid? Uh, so, so, you know, because you know that Democrats can't be saved. Uh, and uh, uh, so I said, <laughs> I said uh, uh, he said, would, would you pray for me? And I, I put my hand on his back and, and Matt's back, and Matt put his hand on his back, and we prayed. We prayed that God would be with him, that God would protect him, that God would bless him, that God would lead him. And uh, then afterwards, I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a gospel tract. And I said, can I give you something really good? I, he said, what's that? I said, I wrote this because I went to church all my life and nobody ever told me how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. I said, I'd like to give that to you. He said, well, sure. He said, I'll read that. Harry Reid had an opportunity to go to heaven. Harry Reid had the opportunity to hear the gospel, not because I was spiritual, but because Matthew said, hey, this is a good idea. And we prayed for him. I'm telling you, what we need to do is understand the world is wicked. They don't understand. And we have to shine as lights in the midst of darkness. We just need to understand that. So as we're doing that, you say, well, how do I keep my, if I'm out, and and we've got to deal with these people that are out in the world. I mean, there's people that come in with purple hair and spikes in their cheeks, and and, uh, they're doing all sorts of weird things, wearing goatees. Uh, There's all, all those things we talked about this morning. How do you keep who you are? I think, number, I think, let me give this, base your, number three, base your convictions on Scripture, not on cultural norms. Base your convictions on Scripture and not on cultural norms. Let's, let's talk about some of these things. And, and I'm just going to give you some examples. Fornication. Why am I going to stand against sexual sin? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That is uh, what God's word says. So somebody, some kid comes up and says, well, there's no difference between, uh, between uh, uh, immorality and any other sin. I say, oh, yeah, there is. There's some greater consequences for immorality. There's greater consequences for adultery than most other sins. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible says this, that a man that commits adultery destroyeth his own soul. Think about that. Think about those words. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. It's your ability to think right. It's your ability to emote right. It's your ability to make right choices, the the hard choices. That's what your soul is. If you're destroying that, imagine that that just that you're 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 ruining who you are. By the way, that is why pornography is such a stain on our country. That's why it's such a horrible thing to be involved in. Why? Jesus said if a man looks on a woman, to lust after a woman, 
He has committed adultery in his heart. He is destroying his soul. He's destroying his ability to think right. He's destroying his ability to emote right. So he's not going to show the right emotion to his wife. He's destroying his ability to make wise choices when he's involved. Why is it? Why? I mean, the, the, on the Internet, the pornography industry is the, is the biggest multi-billion dollar industry. Why? Because it is soul-destroying. It'll destroy the way you think. It'll destroy the way you, your emotions. It'll destroy your, your, uh, it'll destroy your willpower. It'll destroy your marriage. God, uh, God hates it. This whole thing of, 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 of uh, immorality. So uh, base your convictions on Scripture. Adultery is breaking the marriage vows according to... Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 19. So I can teach on divorce and remarriage according to Scripture. I can teach on pornography according to Scripture. Matthew twenty or 5.28 says, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath, hath committed adultery already in his heart. Homosexuality. I, can, I, I don't have to say, I wonder, well, you know, uh, is there really... I, a lady came to me one day because I was preaching about homosexuality and preaching uh, how wrong it was. And she she came up and said, I just want you to know that offended me. I think you're not being very socially sensitive to people who have different preferences. I said, you need to understand preferences are things that are unscriptural. This is a biblical issue. The Bible tells us in Leviticus, it's very clear. Uh, the Bible tells us that in Leviticus, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. I don't have to guess about that. I can look in the scripture and I can say this is wrong. Polygamy. We got a guy, Jeff Warren, who, who's, who is out, who's the, the, the leader of the reformed or the restored LDS church out in Utah and believes in multiple marriages and says, well, in Scripture you have multiple marriages. I can point out to my kids, and I did as they were growing up, they would say to me as we're looking at Scriptures and hearing Scripture stories, well, wait a minute, Jacob had four wives. So I can talk to them and I can say to them, but how did that turn out? How, how, was, how did things work out with that? And you can reason with people and say, here's the scriptural. Here's, here's what Jesus said. Here's what God said. And here's what people did that are some of our heroes of the faith. How did it work out for them? How did Abraham and Hagar work out? How did that, that, how did that, how did that work out? It didn't work out too good. You see, whenever even good people violate God's principles, there are, there are issues. The big big deal today about drinking, whether it's right or wrong uh, to drink. Uh, I say, listen, you can do whatever you want to. I have, some, I have a cultural problem with that because I grew up when I was, third, after my dad died, I was sort of uncontrollable. My mother had me live with my brother-in-law and my sister for about a year and a half or two years. And while I was, uh, while I was living there, he was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. He'd come home and beat my uh, sister, and I got tired of it one night, came home, he was holding my sister up and choking her, and uh, I thought he was going to kill her. I ran out and I got a gun and pulled the gun on him and uh, told him to let her go and I was going to kill him. So I have some problems with, with I, I didn't do it, by the way. Uh, so uh, 
<laughs> in fact, the gun wasn't loaded. And he got the gun out of my hand, and then I thought I was going to die. And, uh, but uh, it didn't happen anyway. So the, um, I have problems just, I mean, if there wasn't anything else with anything in Scripture, I'd say, man, uh, it's crazy. Don't get involved with liquor because it leads one thing, leads to the next, and leads to the next. But when I'm talking to somebody about why I don't believe in drinking, I don't, I don't uh, go to my preference. Uh, I don't go to my, 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 uh, my background. I, I look at the Scripture. In Proverbs it says, and I don't, in, in the New Testament, is there a question? Could there be a question that New Testament believers, maybe the New Testament deacons, uh, partook of, of wine? Is there a question about that? Can you question it? Yeah, but you can't question Proverbs 23 but that says, Who hath woe, and who hath sorrows, and who hath contentions, and who hath babblings? I won't make any political statements there. And who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of the eyes, they that tarry long at the wine. God warns us about drinking. God warns us about it. it, it uh, Lemuel, who we think is Solomon, Lemuel's mother said, it's not for kings. If you want to be a leader, you don't drink wine. It's not for princes to drink strong drink. I can look at those verses. I can say them to my children. I can say them to the kids in our academy. I can say them to our our adult uh, teachers. I can say them to the people of our church. Look, this is not good. It's not wise. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. So why mess around with it? And maybe, hey, they did drink. Maybe there was some, uh, some, there was a different type of wine in the New Testament than we have today. But hey, we have a choice now. There was a guy named Dr. Welch who came along in the 1800s and, 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 and developed unfermented grape juice. So I can say, hey, I don't have to deal with whether or not to drink fermented wine. I, I don't have to deal with that. And so um, I would just say this, again, when you're coming, uh, when you're coming to, to convictions, when you're coming to the culture, stick with Bible convictions. Um, when they started closing down churches a few months ago, and they said, uh, you're, you're not going to meet together, we had to look at whether or not we think biblically, that we have to meet together? And the answer was, of course, we have to meet together. The word church means a called out assembly. It, it, the, the word church means to, to assemble. That's what it means. If you're not assembling, you're not churching. So, so we, are, we, are, we are churching today. We are assembling together. And if we're not, then, then we're, we're disobeying God. So there's a point, like, uh, like Brother Skelly said a, a, a few minutes ago, there's a point at whether you have to, you have to decide whether you're going to obey God or man. And I have to say, okay, uh, listen, with all due respect, uh, I am going to, we're going to meet together, and we're going to do what God wants us to do, because God's word tells us this is a command. This is not. This is a conviction. We are going to meet together for emergency situations when 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 thousands of people are dying. Should we abstain from certain actions and find out what the story is, and then and then uh, slowly move forward? That's what we. Uh, that that's common sense. That is that's the right thing to do. But when somebody says there's going to be a time you're not going to meet together for a year or two years, that's just not going to happen. That is not what God wants us to do. I can say that based not on my feelings, 
But on my convictions as an independent Baptist, I've, I don't even believe in a universal church. I believe in the family of God. I believe in a local church. And, and so if we're not churching, if we're not assembling, we're not churching. And so, uh, so I can do that. Now, what I'm saying is this. Base your convictions on your scripture and not on your personal preference. Number, number four. And this is, this is key. Practice. Don't just preach the word. Practice the word. Don't just preach the word. This is where I think we will have the most impact on our culture or we will have the least impact on our culture. Jesus said, Jesus did not say that the way that they're going to know that you're my disciples is if you have the right haircut. He didn't say they're going to know you're my disciples because you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He didn't say you're going to know my, you're my disciples if you, uh, 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 and you put it whatever you want on there. He said you, they are going to know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I tell people all the time, there are three things that are absolutely essential. There needs to be doctrinal purity. You need to preach doctrine and know the doctrines from the word of God. Number two, you need to have moral purity. We, I'm telling you, there's been, there have been those in our uh, fundamental Baptist churches that have excused away all sorts of crummy immorality. And their, their immorality has been covered up because they were doctrinally where we are, where we are doctrinally. I think that's so horrible. We need to be doctrinally pure. We need to be morally pure. And then we need to be practically holy. And what I mean by that is that we're practicing what we preach. We're practicing the doctrines of God. We're practicing the morality of God. That I am loving my wife the way Christ loved the church. The wives are submitting to their own husbands, showing them respect uh, and caring for their husbands, that, that we're loving our children the way God wants us to love our children, that we are living the example. A pastor, there's, there's nothing in the scripture that indicates that a pastor has to have 3,000 people in church to be successful. But there's a lot in scripture that says that a pastor, in order to be successful, has to be teaching doctrine and be living morally right. And have his family in order. And I'm telling you something. You, uh, you, you need to understand this thing, about, this thing about practical holiness is so, so important. It's, it's so important. I, I refuse to. I absolutely refuse to get involved in a fight with my Christian brother. I tell people, you can disagree with me all you want. You've been wrong before. I, I, and I, I say that in jest, but I want you to understand it's important that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. The world loves it when they, when they can get two Christians fighting with one another. One of the best things I think that has taken place because of COVID, God has used COVID to shut Christians up that are ripping apart other Christians. It's, you just don't need to do that. Well, what if I disagree with them? 
then here's what the Bible says. You have a problem with a brother, you go to them one-on-one. Brother Dwight, I have a problem with you. I'm supposed to go to you. I'm supposed to talk to you one-on-one and deal with that. And if, 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 if you don't change and you're in the local church, I'm supposed to take two or three witnesses and try, for, not for your destruction or to run you down, but in order to, uh, in order to win you back. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be more concerned about you than I am about myself. That's loving. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, here's my commandment, that you love one another the way I'm loved, I love you. That is, I'm willing to die for you. I give you a hard time. We have so much fun together. But I'm telling you what, I want to have that heart that, that says, hey, I'm here for you, and you're my friend, and I'm willing to die for you. That's what Jesus said. That, that proves to the world that we're his disciples. And when we do just the opposite, it proves to the world that we're not his disciples. The Bible says to be wise as serpents. Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'm not supposed to go out and rip. Look, I can't expect, I can't expect the world to understand why I'm against abortion. The world's going to abort their kids. They're going to murder their children. Now, when I say that, when I say that, I want you to understand my son Matthew is the president of uh, a place called uh, First Choice Pregnancy in Las Vegas, That's an, which is an answer to our prayers. We see in that, in that pregnancy center, we see more babies saved than in any other clinic in the United States by far. Last year, 2,600 ladies who were planning on having abortions did not have abortions. They got the gospel, they got saved, and, and uh, the baby's lives were spared. Can you say amen to that? That's, that's exciting. That's exciting. So, but I want you to understand that the world, the world doesn't understand that. The world's going to kill their babies until they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the way they're going to be. Don't expect the world to be like you. Don't expect the... the we can't expect... The people to understand. So we have a, a long-haired guy who, who wants to dress like a woman who is now in, uh, the assistant for our health and human services uh, in Washington, D.C. How wonderful that is. I mean, uh, you, but I have to say to my mind, they don't, they don't think the way I think. They're, they're not, they're not, they don't believe the way I believe. And I can't despise them Though I want you to know in my flesh, when I see something like that, I just, it, my flesh crawls. And I think, but, but that's, that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to not only love my brothers the way Christ loved me, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be wise as a serpent and, and as harmless as a dove, and I'm not supposed to expect the world to live like me. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He said, love your enemies. Isn't that like a strange concept? And we hear it all the time. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and, and to the evil. So what is he? He's kind to the unthankful and the evil. So let's say it this way. He's kind to the unthankful and the abortionist. He's kind to the unthankful and the homosexual. 
He's kind to the unthankful and the adulterer. He's kind to the unthankful and the drug addict. He's kind to the unthankful and the and and uh, the drunks. That's who he is. Be therefore merciful, just like he was. Be therefore merciful, as your father also is merciful. Judge not, and and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. This is talking about your attitude towards those people who are living perverted lifestyles in this world. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and it shall be forgiven you. I was, um, uh, so I was sitting in my office, and uh, one of our school administrators came into my office and said, Pastor, you've got to do something about this. I said, what's that? We have a Christian school with all the Christian rules and regulations and all the, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't. And, uh, you know, I, I raise my kids. Uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, and if you do touch my daughters, then you might not have hands anymore. I, so I, I raised my children uh, in morally pure. They, they, uh, they knew what they weren't were not supposed to do. We have rules in our school about guys and girls hugging or kissing. Well, right outside the front door of our church, uh, uh, out the front uh, front door of our church lobby, there is a there's a park bench that we have out there, so people can sit there and and um, talk and do whatever. I walked out there one day, or, or, or my my this administrator walked out and saw three kids there. I mean, these kids were pierced. They were wearing black leather. Uh, they had like it was all. They had the dark lipstick and dark eyebrows, and they had their hair all out doing stuff that it shouldn't be doing, and uh, because that's not what fundamental Baptists do. And so, uh, so, and they're sitting there, and she's sitting on his lap, and you know they're kissing and making out, and there's another guy just observing the whole thing. So they said, Pastor, could you come out and get and talk to this these people? So I walked out and I said, Hey, what's going on? Hey. Nothing, we just wanted to sit here. And they were there to make a statement, right? So I said, oh, wow, that's cool. I said, man, I said, let me ask you a question. Because they had like pierced cheeks and they had uh, all sorts. I said, does that hurt? And they looked at me like, what? And then one guy said, one guy had one in his tongue. And I said, does that hurt you at all? The one in your tongue, does that hurt? He said, no, it doesn't hurt. You get used to it. And I, I said, I said, uh, I said, oh, I said, uh, man, I said, uh, listen, I want to talk to you about something in a minute. But first, let me ask you a question. I said, I said, you guys go to church anywhere? One kid said, oh, I used to. And the other two said, no. I said, I said, would you like to come in my office? I'd like, I'd like to show you around. So I took him in my office, took him, walked, walked around, and uh, they, sat, they sat down. I said, you know what? I said, let me tell you, first of all, I said, I, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad I had an opportunity to meet with you. And I said, I said, has anybody ever shared with you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? And the one kid said, no. The other one said, no, no. I said, and the other one said, oh, I've been in church all my life. I said, oh. I said, well, I said, I, I knew this guy was lost. This guy this, this guy's has been burned out by some phony that he didn't like or something happened. So I said, I said well, let me, can I share with you? Can I take some time and share with you what the Bible says? And they said, yeah. So I gave them the gospel. It's an amazing thing. 
I sat and I told him that Jesus loved him and that he suffered and died and paid the penalty for their sin, that he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses. It's amazing how many people don't even know about Jesus. I was putting out a, I was putting out a, a manger scene in my front yard. In Las Vegas, I'm giving, putting out a, a manger scene in my, in my front yard. Two, two girls, eight and ten years old, came walking up and said, what's that? I said, this is a manger scene. It's uh, Christmas time. And they said, a manger scene. I said, uh, I said, yeah, you know, Jesus. And they said, Jesus who? I said, you've never heard of Jesus? And uh, I, I had my, my daughter-in-law, Heather, come out and lead them to Christ there. I, I, ta- I, talked, to, I talked to these kids that were sitting in my, in, in my office now, and I'm telling them, I told them step by step, and it took me a while because they were they knew nothing, and I said, "Does that make sense?" I said, "You would." They were willing to admit they were sinners. They they were willing to admit that uh, they they understood that Jesus died for them, was buried, and rose from the dead. I said, "Would you like to receive Christ?" And these two said yes, and the other one said no. And I said, you want to do that in front of your... And they said, yeah. And they both bowed their heads and they prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Can I tell you this? We could have gone out there and said, listen, get off the property. Uh, you look like, I don't know, what are you wearing the spikes for? What are you doing here? And, you, and we could have done that. Or we could have understood they understand nothing. They're lost. They, they need help. We don't justify sin. We don't say something is okay that's not okay. We need to understand that we as Christians, by the way, we should live at a higher standard. We, we're, we are the holy ones, and, but we are not here to condemn. We're here to reach, and we need to reach out and understand in this culture, we need to keep our mouth shut about condemning and running down all the wicked, vile stuff that's out there in the world. It's there, and what we need to understand is that we need to love, the, we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to love the lost and show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we do that, we'll be able to reach the world by not condemning the world. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, Join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit EnrichmentRetreat.com.